Okay, so um, once again, good morning. Passover is just a couple weeks away, and so I have been for the past couple weeks trying to focus on a little bit of self-improvement, right? We would like to get the uh, spiritual leaven out of our spiritual kitchens. And so this week's Parsha gives us another opportunity, another lesson in that. So um, I'm going to kind of just jump right in here because we'll jump around a few different spots in Tanakh to uh, sort of get a feel for Sarah. Um, Brian had us reading this morning in the book of Vayikra, chapter 13. That's this week's Torah portion. It is on page 121. We're going to spend a moment there. Page 121 in the Stearns, or if you have a different version of Scripture, it will be Leviticus chapter 13, is where I would like to begin just reading a few verses to get a feel for where I'm headed this morning. This is um, in Torah where this Parsha and also next week's Torah portion, um, Metzorah, they really deal with uh, leprosy, Okay. And so we're sort of introduced to it here with um, some very descriptive sort of um, language, of course. The first few verses of chapter 13 read like this. Adonai said to Moshe and Aharon, if someone develops on his skin a swelling, a scab or a bright spot, which could develop into the disease Sarah'at, he is to be brought to Aharon the Kohen, or to one of his sons who are Kohanim, and the Kohen is to examine the sore on his skin. And if the hair in the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to go deep in the skin, it's Sarah'at. And after examining him, the Kohen is to declare him unclean. If the bright spot on his skin is white, uh, but it does not appear to go deep into the skin, and the hair has not turned white, then the Kohen is just to uh, isolate him for seven days. And on the seventh day, the Kohen is going to re-examine him. And if the sore appears to be the same as before and it has not spread, then the Kohen is to isolate him for seven more days. And on the seventh day, the Kohen is to examine him. And if the sore has faded and hasn't spread on the skin, then the Kohen is to declare him clean. It's only a scab, so he is to wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads further on the skin after he has been examined by the koan and declared clean, then he is to let himself be examined yet again by the koan. The koan will examine him, and if he sees the scab is spread on his skin, the koan will declare him unclean, it's Sarah'at. And as you read further, it's quite the process you go through with uh, Sarah'at and dealing with it. What gets a little puzzling is if you jump down a few verses, same chapter, but chapter 47 introduces uh, sort of a strange angle to this. Uh, same chapter, verse 47, says, When Sarah infects an article of clothing, whether it be a woolen or a linen garment, on the threads or in the woven in parts of either linen or wool or uh, on a hide or an item made of leather, then the stain on the garment, hide, threads, woven in parts or leather, uh, 
leather item, if it's uh, gr greenish or reddish, then it is an infection of Sarah'at and is, is to be shown to the Kohen. And so that's kind of strange that, you know, Sarah'at, as you think of it, is not just a disease that a person gets, but this is something that can also affect an inanimate object. And it's not just clothes either. There's lots of different items, even a house, that can um, come down with Sarah'at, as strange as that sounds. So the scriptural condition of Sarah'at that we read in here um, is not defined so much as a purely physical disease or affliction. It's, it's as Rav Mike used to say, it is a physical, physical manifestation of a spiritual malady. Next week's Torah portion, which I will, we're kind of kind of mow over this from a different direction next week, but it's called Mitzorah, and that means the leper. But if you really think about the word Mitzorah, you can break it down into two different words, Motzi and Ra, which means uh, to bring forth evil. And so um, perhaps uh, that's why this really gets tied into the uh, common, familiar Hebrew expression of Lashon Hara, which is Lashon means tongue and Ra means evil. So it's an evil tongue or evil speech. And as we'll see here in a moment, Lashon Hara is uh, one of the big uh, contributors to somebody coming down with Sarah'at. Because evil speech is uh, very serious. I mean, the, uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences, right? Keep crooked speech out of your mouth and banish deceit from your lips. Lashon hara is a very serious offense. Um, let's get an example going here. I'm going to move that to right there for next year. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, you can find that on page, oh man, I didn't double check this page number, 162, yes, Numbers chapter 12, just in front of here a little bit, we find the story of Miriam acquiring Sarah'at. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, reads like this, this is the story of Miriam, um, acquiring Sarah'at. Miriam and Aharon began criticizing Moshe on account of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had, in fact, married an Ethiopian woman. They said, is it true that Adonai has only spoken with Moshe? Hasn't he spoken with us too? Adonai heard them. Now this uh, man, Moshe, was very humble, more so than anyone on earth. Suddenly, Adonai told Moshe, uh, Aharon, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Adonai came down in a, in a column of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aharon and Miriam, and they both went forward. And he said, listen to what I say. When there is a prophet among you, I, Adonai, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak with him in a dream. But it isn't this way with my servant Moshe. He is the only one who is faithful in my entire household. With him, 
I speak face to face and clearly, not in riddles. He sees the image of Adonai. So why weren't you afraid to criticize my servant Moshe? And the anger of Adonai flared up against them, and he left. But when the cloud was removed from above the tent, Miriam had Sarah at, as white as snow. And from there, you'll read she had to get uh, put out of the tent for a week. And then afterwards, they were allowed to move on. And so this disease of Sarah and the description of it is closely linked with the sin of speaking Lashon Hara, which is slander, evil speech, gossip is a big one of them. And so Miriam here, what got her into trouble was a little bit of her speech went maybe beyond constructive criticism, right? This is, she was certainly angry about him marrying an Egyptian woman. And so words can get you really into trouble, which is something, uh, weirdly enough, I mean, we all kind of grew up on the, uh, the axiom, right? Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, words can never hurt me. I mean, that's terrible advice, you know what I mean? It's, uh, words can do a lot of damage. Uh, words, biblically speaking, words got Miriam Sirah'at. That's just the power of speech. Um, just words uh, caused Joseph's brothers to hate him, just of the stuff Joseph said. And just speech, just words, that was a reason uh, the children of Israel couldn't go into the land and had to wander for 40 years in the desert, was just because the spies had a bad report, just stuff they said. So words, there's a lot of consequences to things that you say, and they can be pretty serious. Speech is something that as human beings, we have the ability to speak as something very unique to us, and we have the ability to speak to God and to others. And our tongues can do a lot of damage. The book of James, in chapter 3, verse 7, it says this, So too the tongue is a tiny part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how a little fire sets a whole forest ablaze. You know, it goes on to say that uh, uh, the tongue, uh, no one can tame it. It uh, is an unstable and evil thing. I mean, it's, uh, the tongue it can be a source of cursing. It can be a source of blessing as well. But to think that sticks and stones may break my bones and all that, no, speech is... Very impactful, very impactful on our creation. In today's half Torah portion, we see some of the same principles at work. We get another little insight into uh, uh, some of the consequences or side effect of bad, of bad speech. Um, Second Kings is where uh, Brian was reading from page 405, and I'm not going to read it all, kind of summarize it, but it'd be helpful to turn there for a moment because we're going to read a little extra. But 2 Kings, of course, um, chapter 5 is kind of where I was going to start, uh, page 405. And so this is, of course, the story of Naaman, and Naaman has got Sarah, and one of his wives' servants says, listen, our God... Um, can heal you. And so he um, takes off from where he lived, and which is 
roughly Syria, modern-day Syria, travels down to Israel, goes before the king, uh, brings a bunch of gifts, you know, can you uh, uh, heal me of Sarah? And so the king kind of thinks to himself, I can't heal this guy. They're just going to use this as an excuse to start a war because I can't heal him. And Elisha says, relax, don't worry about it, don't freak out, I got this, send him over to me. And so Naaman heads on over to Elisha's house, but Elisha won't even come out. He just sends one of his servants out there and tells him to go dip in the water. To which, I mean, Naaman uh, obviously was irritated by this. He was probably expecting um, Elisha to come out and perform some sort of ritual or some sort of offering for him, perhaps. Maybe, you know, speak some sort of uh, uh, sorcery on him. I mean, you know, he's expecting something to happen. Just says, go dip in the water seven times. And so eventually he does, after his servants talk him into it, and he's cleaned. And so Naaman's very, very thankful for this. And Naaman tries to uh, reward Elisha, wants to give him a whole bunch of money. Understandably, I probably would too, be very happy about that, and be trying to give him everything that I could to show my appreciation. But Elisha's not going to have any of it. Elisha confirmed Naaman's newfound respect for Adonai by refusing his gifts. Um, Elisha's sincerity and his humility um, works against, that's contrary to the greed and pride of a lot of other people that may have taken money for healings and things like that. But it's very, very humbling that he refused to take anything. He gives credit to Adonai and he sends him away, go in peace. And that's where our half Torah portion ends, is here in verse 19. But let's continue reading on a little bit. Because at verse 19, Elisha said to him, go in peace. That's the end of our half Torah portion. But Giazi, um, a servant of his, gets himself into a little bit of trouble. So, um, continuing in verse 19, Naaman had gone only a short distance from him, when Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, Here, my master has made it easy on this Arami Naaman by not accepting from him what he brought. As Adonai lives, I'll run after him and at least get something from him. So Gehazi hurried off after Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and asked, Is everything all right? Yes, he replied. My master sent me with this message. Two young men have just now come to me, uh, guild prophets from the hills of Ephraim. Would you be kind enough to give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes? Naaman says, of course, by all means, take two talents. Uh, pressing him, you know, he uh, tied up two of the talents of silver and two bags and gave them with two changes of clothes to two of his servants who carried them ahead of Gehazi. On reaching the hill, he took the bags from them and put them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they left. He went in and stood before his master. Elisha asked, um, where have you been, Gehazi? Well, your servant hasn't been anywhere, he said. And Elisha said to him, wasn't my heart there with you when the man left his chariot to meet you? Is this a time to receive silver and clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female slaves? Therefore, name, therefore Naaman's 
Sarah-at will cling to you and your descendants forever. And he left Elisha's presence with Sarah-at as white as snow. So Gehazi here literally runs after Naaman and sort of, you know, we do need a little bit of money, Naaman, after all, you know, and then uh, seems to head home with uh, the spoils. And it almost appears at first as if Gehazi's maybe trying to do something good. Um, After all, we all need expenses, right? I mean, everyone could use a little extra. But having just been immersed into a spiritual experience, Naaman unsuspectingly adds even a little extra, a second talent, and continues on his journey. He probably still feels pretty good about this. And Gehazi kind of scurries home where he's confronted by Elisha, who's pretty angry. Now, this is, from this act of deception, Gehazi himself now is punished with, I guess, not just any Sarah'at, but the same Sarah'at that Naaman had. And so what is the can ask ourselves, what is the specific sin here that he had committed? Well, apparently Gehazi, a little greedy, um, in a desire to amass material gain, he had perpetuated a grave desecration of God's holy name. You see, Elisha, as a prophet, used his giftings and became a great resource in God's hand to bring physical and spiritual healing to Naaman. And he was rich towards God, and he knew that the healing was not contingent on profiting from it. Gehazi, on the other hand, um, he slandered God through his deceptive and greedy scam that would take God's working to bring about a profit. And so we should be careful, what we can learn from this is that we should be careful how we present ourselves to others Um, because we might accidentally bring desecration to Adonai. I mean, we all want to be good ambassadors of Messiah Yeshua, but sometimes just accidentally uh, a little misstep isn't just a sin that affects you, but it also affects, uh, because you're a representative of Messiah, this is what people's view of God is, is by your actions. So Sarah teaches us that Lashon Hara is very serious, of course. Um, that's gossiping, speaking badly about somebody, even if it's true, you shouldn't speak badly about somebody. And there's actions that um, can cause us to desecrate our God as well. Now Sarah, of course, or uh, Lashon Hara, I should say, um, speaking ill about somebody can be a tricky thing because... Um, We all have a responsibility to warn somebody of a snake in the grass, right? If you see danger, if there's a snake in the grass and you say nothing, um, you're guilty of harm just as much as the snake is. At the same time, um, it's not always necessary to be talking about um, others, even if it's true. I think one area... um, that's also additionally tricky is when a talk comes to leadership. Sometimes leadership, um, they put themselves in a position where there's a little bit higher expectations, so you should hold them to a higher expectation. And so leaders should be held a little bit of a- accountable. So sometimes you do need to go to your leader with some constructive criticism. 
There are some people here that have no problem coming to me with constructive criticism. Amen? And that's just fine. But constructive criticism, you've got to kind of balance the constructive criticism with gossip. And we certainly want to be careful of uh, Lashon Hara. But we also want to be able to communicate concerns that we have and to warn others of a snake in the grass. And so whenever we speak and um, are talking about other people, we have to first kind of run it through some filters in our head. Is this really necessary? Is this person I'm speaking to, uh, is this appropriate to be talking to them about this? Because great damage can be done, and the lessons that we learn in Scripture teach us that um, Adonai doesn't like gossip and, um, because not only does it damage the person speaking it and the person hearing it gets affected by it, but the people who are watching it go on, it's a bad reflection of, of the God that those people believe in and represent. So as we are getting uh, the spiritual leaven out of our spiritual kitchens, getting ready for Passover, let's just try to be mindful of our own speech and our own actions. And sometimes it is not easy watching what we say, watching what we post on Facebook. That's all just stuff that is a representation, number one, of who you are as a person, but also a representation of your spiritual life and what you believe in and ultimately Messiah. So I'll close with this psalm. It's an encouraging psalm. Psalm 141. It is on page 93. Uh, 9.33, if you'd like to follow along. But if not, I'm going to read Psalm 141. Very helpful. Very helpful psalm, because sometimes restraining the tongue really isn't that easy in this world we live in. And Psalm 141 sort of hits on all that. It's very, David pulls it together very well. Psalm 141 says... Adonai, I have called you. Um, Come to me quickly. Listen to my plea when I call you. Let my prayer be like incense before you, my uplifted hands like an evening sacrifice. Set a guard, Adonai, over my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Don't let my heart turn to anything evil or allow me to act wickedly with men who are evildoers. Keep me from eating their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me. Let him correct me. It will be an act of love. Let my head not refuse such choice oil, for I will keep on praying about their wickedness. When their rulers are thrown down from the cliff, the wicked will hear that my words were fitting. And when one plows and breaks the ground into clods, our bones are strewn at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes, Adonai, Adonai are on you. In you I take refuge. Don't pour out my life. Keep me from the trap they have set for me, from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. May Adonai, um, may Adonai fill us with his spirit. May Adonai give us insight to look inward and examine ourselves, and may we receive the wisdom to make ourselves better Talmudim, uh, better disciples of our Messiah Yeshua, so that others uh, may see our good actions and hear our good speech 
And Adonai will be glorified through that. Shabbat shalom. Uh, I will close us with prayer. Avino um, HaShemaim, our Father in heaven, I thank you um, once again for everyone that's here in the Shabbat. May the rest of today's activities be blessed by you. And as we go forward throughout this week, um, as we're getting closer to Pesach, may you allow us just to look a little more inwardly and get a little bit more of that leaven out of, of our lives' work. Um, Lord, give us that wisdom and give us insight and strength and fill us with your spirit to allow us to serve you and to do your will. We thank you and bless you for all things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen.